Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. It is our Sunday SEC basketball conversation with Brack and Ray. We discussed Ole Miss's 2-0 week, including a thrilling road win, the Rebels' first road win of the season against Texas A&M. Where they stand with regard to the NCAA tournament, a massive week of basketball at home for Ole Miss ahead, a look around the SEC and a whole lot more. Buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, podcast you get one month of free service when signing up for cspire check about cspire customer inspired this podcast is brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked they're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry College basketball season's heating up. NFL's winding down. If you're trying to make a little money, we'll make a little extra cash in your pocket. You need to go with Skybox. Their bread and butter is and has always been college basketball. I've been saying it on this podcast for years at this point. Let me lend you inside a little bit of Skybox's year-long college basketball action this so far this year. They're up 24 and a half units on overs on the year. They're up 0.027 units on unders, plus 19 and a half units on against the spreads and are up a total of 39 units on the year with the $100 better per unit. You're up almost $4,000. That'd be $3,908 on the season. Don't you wish you had that? Well, you probably didn't sign up for Skybox. Check them out today. You'll find the picks package that fits your price range. Get familiar with Skybox before March Madness. Let them help you make some money on the end of the NFL season and so much more. They're the best sports handicapping site in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The stats speak for themselves. And if you go online and find a picks package today and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Bracken. All right, we now welcome on former Anity Kennedy staffer, Rebel RIPPY Wrights basketball analyst, Bracken Ray. Ole Miss coming off a 2-0 week, including a thrilling victory on the road at Texas A&M. On Saturday, 71 to 68, their first road win of the 2023-2024 season. We uh, skipped last week. I was in a wedding in remote Mexico in which I got back after one in the morning. It seems like the weeks we don't podcast, they go 0-2, and and the weeks we do, they go 2-0. and I don't know if there's anything scientific behind that, but uh, something to monitor. Yeah, hey, look, I guess we're the... We're the, we're the one constant variable in the uh, conference play so far. Well, the good news for them is, if you believe in that statistic, I don't have any plans to leave the country again unless they make the Final Four. So uh, I think we're set for the foreseeable future. But a big bounce-back week for Ole Miss. 
Um, they get their first road win, which is probably primarily what we'll talk about, but just kind of giving the uh, 10,000 foot view of the week coming off the week before last that Arkansas game felt like a huge game and they really came out with their best punch felt like Arkansas really kind of wilted in the second half going into off coming off of an 0 and 2 week. How important in the early mid January part of this year, did you view that Arkansas game for Ole Miss? Well, you know, it kind of depends on when in your head you were looking at that game, right? I mean, in, in November, you think, hey, that's a probably a quad one game even at home because of the success that Musselman has had over the past three or so years. Um, I think more than anything, and you're seeing this with all teams, even the top four that have kind of widened the gap in the SEC, but you're going to lose games, right? And you're going to go stretches where you went, you lose maybe even multiple games, whether, you know, on the road or at home. Um, and it's how you respond to that. Um, and one of the benefits that this group has, although it has a ton of new pieces uh, being both transfers and freshmen, they've got a lot of experience from those transfers. A lot of guys that are 21, 22, 23 years old, and a lot of guys that have, either played in super meaningful games or P5 games to where when you get popped in the mouth on the road, you know, you know that life's not over. Um, and there's all the net, the, as Beard says, the most important game is always the next one. So look, the Arkansas win, it, it was a great win, um, you know, blowing somebody out at home. I think it is probably a reflection of you playing well and them not being great and playing bad you know, at, at all at the same time, but getting going um, against Arkansas to then have a, you know, Q1 road opportunity in College Station was a great way to respond to getting popped in the mouth a few times. And speaking of getting popped in the mouth, they got popped in the mouth early in the game on Saturday night, right? They get down, uh, I think they all got down as many as 11 in the first half, or maybe as nine, they go on a run to close the half. That was a weird game on Saturday night. I guess kind of going into it, how much of an opportunity did you give Ole Miss to win the game? I didn't really love the matchup from, I guess, at least a rebounding standpoint and Ole Miss's just yeah. general history on the road. Did so anything surprise you in particular about the outcome of this game? It, it the, the surprising part is that I did not feel like we played good enough to win. Right. You know, to be, to be completely honest. Now, I listened to Beard's press conference and, like, he said this was not a stat sheet game. If you look, you know, Ole Miss got out-rebounded by eight. They shot 41% from the field, which is not great. Their best stat was um, their field goal percentage at 73%, but they only shot 15 free throws. I thought in the first half there was a, you know, crazy high amount of turnovers in transition. Ole Miss did not have any transition points in the first half. I thought, um, you know, one thing they did a really good job of a non-conference was shot selection and ball reversals. There was a lot of times where, you know, Flanagan and Morrell, the ball got stuck in their hands and they took contested out of rhythm mid-range shots. Um, but at the end of the day, they found a way, uh, you know, Juju Murray, when I saw his shot last night, from three, although it wasn't, you know, a game winner um, towards the towards the end of the game, it gave me Chris Warren Kentucky vibes. Yeah, from whatever that was like fifteen years ago. Um, 
So, you know, but we talked about this. We've talked about this all year. Good teams find ways to win in a variety of ways. And for Ole Miss, this was a game where he didn't play super well. It was on the road. There's a lot when you go back and watch film to be corrected. But a win's a win. And you've got a lot of momentum heading into a really big week with two um you know, pretty outstanding home opportunities. Yeah, the the early part of the first half, really honestly for most of the first half until the final three minutes or so, Ole Miss was not faring very well on the glass. You mentioned the ball getting stuck. They didn't get any sort of rhythm offensively. It looked like A&M's kind of three-quarter court-ish pressure, whether it was well, – I couldn't tell if it was one or different, two different types of looks seemed to bother Ole Miss a little bit. You mentioned not really reversing the ball, taking a lot of mid-range, you know, low-percentage shots that are contested. And then all of a sudden you get – a Murray three-pointer, a Flanagan layup, another Murray three, and a Flanagan jumper in a span of, I think, either four or five possessions or maybe five straight possessions for Ole Miss. Um, you get a couple A&M free throws, and then Morell hits the three and the half. It's like, how the hell did this just happen? Like, how the hell were they up two? And it felt like the whole game was that way, and I don't know what necessarily to, to attribute that to because then Ole Miss comes out in the second half and gets up 11, and then you blink an eye and there's five minutes left and they're down eight again. It was a very bizarre yeah. game that didn't have a lot of flow to it. Was that just two teams that weren't playing well? What do you kind of attribute to the strangeness of that game? Yeah, well, you know, watching it, I thought that it was just sloppy at times. The numbers don't speak to that as much as you think. Ole Miss turned the ball over 11 times uh, on Saturday. I thought that number would have been in the mid to high teens. Um, and then A&M only turned it over 10 times. But it just, you know, it was one of those games where, you know, both teams played a little uncharacteristically. Like we said, Ole Miss, you know, outside of a few of these, you know, Auburn and Tennessee, they've done a pretty good job of moving the ball. And right now, um, offensively, they're relying a lot on Juju Murray to create. And that's been fairly effective. But um, Morrell and Flanagan have had a lot of contested looks, and it kind of seems like they need more of a continuation um, in their offense. This all goes back to, though, when you have Cissé or Sharp in the game, you're playing four on five a lot of times. You're not running action for them. Um, you know, the one thing that Cissé's decent at is pick and roll um, kind of dig-offs, and th they don't do a ton of that. And so – this is going to be, you know, Ole Miss's one of their big challenges for this coaching staff going forward is teams are learning how to guard them with the lack of post presence offensively. And how do you adjust to that? And there's no real fixing that part of it, right? I mean, you mentioned adjusting to it. It's just trying to compensate from it. You can't really have a lineup where both of them out of the game for any significant amount of time, can you? Yeah, no, um, you can't. I think CSA is a little bit more serviceable. And then Sharp is offensively um, and, you know, at times in transition as well. The one thing that I've been a little surprised about, and you saw both of the previous staffs do it a lot with like a Brian Tyree or a Moody, is like a flat ball screen, you know, at the top where you have your big man come and set a ball screen and then let your guard create because Juju's so good at that. They've kind of let him create within the flow of the offense Um they don't do just tons and tons of high ball screen action. But what that does also is if you bring Cissé up to the top 
you know, to set a ball screen 20 to 25 feet away from the goal. He can also roll and he's, he's good at, you know, the lobs where it's just an easy bucket because he's seven foot one and his wingspan's probably like seven to five. Um, so that, that's where you can get a little bit out of that lineup, but outside of that, no, I mean, you're not, you're not running post ISOs for either of those guys. Like, you have with Sebastian Saiz in the past or so to speak. So they've just got to find a way to live with it when they've got those guys in the game. And the big thing that they've got to do, they were good at earlier in the years, ball reversal and not getting stuck kind of in those corners with the forced 15 to 18 foot uh, contested jump shots. Why is the bar reversal aspect so important, particularly for this offense? You've referenced it a couple of times, but like, can you kind of give an explainer of why it can prevent and thwart those contested mid-range shots in particular that you're referring to? Yeah, what what happens is it just becomes if you're not reversing the ball, you know, on side to side, it becomes a lot easier to guard because you can kind of be a little bit lazier as a defender or help more. Um, and so what's happening is there the ball's getting stuck on one side of the floor. And then you look up and there's, you know, 10, eight seconds left on the clock and your wings are getting frantic. They've got to go, you know, force or make something happen. So it's a low percentage shot um, that's not in the rhythm of the offense. And one thing that is a reason for it outside of, you know, the big men's offensive, you know, lack of offensive ability is – Outside of Juju Murray, you still have guys that struggle beating guys off the dribble. Morell has had a great year, right? He's gotten a ton of uncontested looks um, from the perimeter, and he makes the most of it. He's been he, – I think he's finished better this year. But the one gripe that I've always had with him that I honestly think is going to keep him from being a pro is he can't beat people off the dribble one-on-one in the wing at the level that he needs to. So you see a lot of that with your wings on this team that struggle with that. For this team, it's very interesting. They mentioned on the broadcast a couple uh, a couple times last night their shot blocking prowess, but then you look at how badly and yes, A and M is one of the best teams, if not the best team in the conference in terms of rebounding on both ends of the floor. And I know the answer to this, but I'd be curious to hear your explanation. How are you a good shot blocking team and have that kind of size, but a bad rebounding team? So one thing that's interesting is um, if you block a shot and uh, the off, you know the offense maintains possession of the shot it's considered an offensive rebound so this is a very bad rebounding team but metrically speaking you'll give them a little bit there because i mean what what was it sharp had nine blocks one game um you know if half of those the offensive team gets because he blocked it to the perimeter that's counted as an offensive rebound i just think they don't put themselves in position very well um blocking out and it, it really doesn't make sense that they're – because even, you know, Cissé and Sharp, obviously the numbers show how good at they, they are at uh, blocking shots. But I think Flanagan for the – you know, being kind of in a small forward type role, he blocks more shots um, than a lot of guys in his position do. So, you know, a lot of it – we talked the last podcast, you know, rebounding is effort and angles – and they just don't get in great, um, you know, they don't get in great position blocking out. 
um, you know, one through five on this team. I think Cissé definitely stepped up and Brandon Murray was, was great at it last night, but it, it's, it's, it's head scratching um, to try to figure out why it's as bad as it is with their personnel. And an example of both of those things, like you were referring to in one is last night, A&M had a three in the first half where it was a corner three on like the far side of the television screen. And I can't remember if it was an air ball or kind of one of those things where it barely grazed off the rim and came straight down. But all of a sudden you saw an A&M defender come flying into the screen that really caught the rebound off of the off of the floor, um, almost uncontested as if Ole Miss had just kind of forgotten the play was still going on. And then he goes up for a layup and Flanagan has one of the most athletic blocks you'll ever see on the guy. And he doesn't score, but that kind of encapsulates both things you were talking about there in one. And it is kind of head scratching and puzzling. And I don't know if that's necessarily something they can improve on as the year goes on. It, it doesn't seem like they've shown a ton of improvement in it to this point. But one thing last night is you hit it on earlier. Beer talked about it not being a stat sheet game. This team had multiple times where I was like, okay, this might get out of control um, the first one being when they're down nine in the first half and nothing's really going their way. They look discombobulated. They're getting, I think they were fresh off that possession where AM got three offensive rebounds. And then the second one is when they're down eight with like three or four minutes to go. And you really felt like this was a missed opportunity for them. They didn't really flinch either time. They just kind of had their kept their head down, played within themselves and played within control. That's valuable. And that's something that's not particularly common as you look across college basketball and see all these teams losing on the road. Look, no. Ole Miss, not a very good road record. That was their first right. road win of the year last night. But I thought that was as telling of an intangible factor about this team as anything else we've seen this year. 100%. I think experienced older players, which Ole Miss is playing a lot of right now, understand that basketball is a game of runs. You know, really interesting um, – and you, it almost could be a debate topic from a even if you're a couch coach or an actual coach is Beard it called his use it or lose it timeout in the first half just to run a play. But outside of that, during these big runs, he didn't call timeouts. And I think it's because he trusts his team. He knows, hey, you know, at times in games, whether you're playing Tennessee on the road or Vanderbilt at home, the opposite team is going to – your opponent is going to go on a 6-0, 8-0 run. And he really lets them play. Um, and he trusts them when they – when, you know, teams go on these runs. The one thing you'll notice he does, which is super smart, if a team goes on a run like that, he immediately tries to slow it down offensively a little bit. Because a lot of times – Maybe it comes from, you know, these runs come from turning the ball over or contest, uh, you know, contested out of rhythm shots. But he does a good job of, hey, let's slow it down. Let's run some action here. Make sure that we get a clean look. Um, obviously, it's a complete 180 from the previous staff when it comes to that. But I think that that's something that from a mental psyche standpoint, he is able to do that because he's got experienced guys and you know, he wants to keep keep them even kill. One thing I see often on our on whether it's on our board or just kind of internet conversation or just talking to people in general, you talk about Morell having a great year and Flanagan thrown into this category a little bit too, but he's not really the returning all SEC guy that you thought Morell could be. Um people kind of complain about him disappearing for stretches in games. Do you think that's a fair criticism? And I guess to combine that into two questions, you mentioned Beard slowing it down offensively. When they're trying to go get someone a look or get someone a basket, who is that and how is that coming most of the time? 
So you, the question is, we'll go two um, parts. I Mar- tried to throw two and one. Do you think it, like that is a fair criticism that Morel disappears for large stretches of games? Yeah, I mean, I do think that that's a criticism. Um, it's a fair criticism. I think it comes from, you know, when he is at his best is when somebody's creating for him and he gets uncontested looks or he's in transition. Um, and then he's kind of one of these guys who early in his career. He was a really good offensive player when he got an easy layup in transition or an easy bucket early. It helped him, you know, with his confidence. So maybe he makes that contested 15-foot jumper. Um, it happens, you know, some of that can be scouting too, just like, you know, in football. Hey, you know, they may have tried to take away whoever on Ole Miss's team, Trey Harris. So that gave, uh, you know, Dayton Wade – easier touches that kind of stuff's going to happen in basketball and you know morell um with the season that he's having people are going to play him like that when you talk about who do they go to to go get a bucket i think it's less about which guy in particular they're trying to get the ball to and more about trying to get juju murray to create right they they want to get it in, into his hands and go make something happen him making something happen could be a 25 foot three. Um, you know, it could be him getting by his guy, throwing a lob off to the center, or what Morell has benefited from a lot this year is him beating guy off the dribble and then an uncontested corner three. So I think that when they get in these slumps, you start seeing them try to run some quick hitters and actions and let Juju go make something happen. Hardly the first time we've talked about Juju and the year that he's had and how important he's been to Ole yeah. Miss. But I mean, we sit here in late January now with Ole Miss, um, you know, above 500 in SEC play. How like how wild is it the fact that they we're talking about that exact thing where they when they need to go get a bucket now it's trying to go through Juju Murray and let him create. Oh, I mean, I mean, it, he's having his best season by far in the most talented conference he's ever played in by far, right? And I think that's some to him and his talent and hit that Bronx mindset. And then it's a lot of, you know, you got to give a lot of props to the staff and um, action that they're running and the confidence they have in him. So, I mean, he's quickly becoming an Ole Miss fan favorite. He played 37 minutes last night, you know, had five assists, 16 points. Obviously that three was huge. The one, I'll, the one criticism I will say though, is as Ole Miss plays, uh, more SEC opponents, especially ones with bigger guards, he does have trouble defending. Um, you know, as an on-ball defender, he's he's pretty weak on-ball defender. So, Brandon Murray, you know, being able to step up. I mean, he had eight and eight last night. Um, they they really need to get him going because there's going to be times in the game where they need a physical guy that can be you know an on-ball defender and take the opponent's number two or number two guy out of number one or number two guy out of the game um as you noticed last night they played offense defense with Juju Murray right um there towards the end they were they would sit him on defensive possessions so that's the one thing is if you really are looking at it from a critical eye He's been phenomenal offensively, but he gives up some buckets that maybe some other guys on this team wouldn't. We'll get back to Bracken in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. 
This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary-Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, here's Bracken. Goes to the last possession last night. He makes a 25-footer to give Ole Miss a three-point lead. Wasn't necessarily a game winner. It felt like a dagger at the time, even though it remained a one-possession game. That possession itself, I'm just curious because when I was going back and looking at it later last night, I think the the basketball Twitter account or X, whatever, clipped it or something. They had a couple – they had two guys kind of standing in the on the far left side of the floor. He had Flanagan lurking a little bit around the rim. And you have Morrell run from the right side of the floor to even higher up on the left side of the floor. What were they trying? There's no real screen there. What were they trying to do there? What did you see on that last? I call yeah. it the last possession, but the most significant possession of the game. I, I was trying to figure it out too, and I'm wondering if they got taken out of some of the action. But the funny part about it is, and you may have had this view as well. I was looking like at the action around the goal, and then like half a second later, I look up and the ball's in the air. You yes, know what I'm saying? Morrell and Flanagan kind of in that same area until he ran so high up. Right, right. Like you're watching what's happening down low because Mur. It looks like Murray's supposed to be, you know, reading a screen, kind of like how, um, you know, ten years ago they used to run baseline doubles for Marshall, and you're just like zoned in on Marshall. Is he going to come off the left side, the right side? You know, the person screening him. What's he going to do if they overplay Marshall? Well, you're looking at all of this stuff super intensely. And then you look up and the ball's in the air and it's going through the basket, <laughs> you know. So um I don't I don't think that um what happened was a part of the offense, that's for sure. But it's one of those no, 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 yes shots. Yeah, that's it precisely the way to put that one. And then what shouldn't be lost too is after the fact Ole Miss is up three and they gotta sweat out a very, very long 21 and a half seconds after that. And while I don't think everything on the defensive end from what's the standpoint was perfect, none of it was catastrophic, but that was about his textbook way to salt out a game last night. They didn't turn it. They didn't have any turnovers. They got the basketball inbounds every time they had to, and they made every free throw unless I'm missing one. That was a pretty professionally way to salt away a game. Yeah, that's that's the big part about it is they made the free throws. That foul, Brandon Murray's foul on Wade Taylor, I thought that was a little tic-tac-y at that point in the game because they were both hand-fighting. 
Wade Taylor does a good job of knowing how to draw fouls um, in situations like that. It's an old Dwayne Wade thing of kind of, you know, leaning in and initiating the contact, but getting the foul called yourself because it wasted no time on the clock. But the big piece was, you know, they made all their free throws. And if you miss one of those, that, that thing starts to get dicey a little bit. Um, so that was a, you know, that's that that's how you won the game right there. A&M missed 10 free throws. Ole Miss missed four. I mean, that's the game. We talk about all this other ugly stuff that happened, um, you know, turning the ball over, low field goal percentage. Ole Miss did shoot 42% from three, um, with, you know, which is something that, Throughout the year, this has been a better perimeter shooting team than I thought that they would be, but the, that whole game came down to free throws. It did, and Ole Miss came out on top with a massive, massive road win because of it. And looking ahead, real quick, you get Mississippi State in the pavilion on Tuesday night and then Auburn in the pavilion on Saturday afternoon. Seems like a massive, massive week of basketball for Ole Miss as the calendar then turns to February. They've been very good at home. They have not lost at home. What – do you make of this week and how important it is for them? Because there is a world as as great as Auburn is. We talk about how hard it is going on the road and win. There is a world where you look up and Ole Miss is six and three in conference play at the halfway point. It's a huge week, um, and and both of these teams that Ole Miss is playing this week are a lot better at home than they are on the road. Um, even splitting this week w- would be really nice. The one thing I was telling somebody about this this week. I've gotten to watch State play a a few times recently. I think Ole Miss actually matches up pretty well with them. Now, you got to play good, and you know I'm a big Chris Jans guy. I think he's he's an elite basketball coach. But the reason I say that is Ole Miss has struggled with teams that have, you know, big, long athletic guards. And State has – plays a lot of smaller guards right now um, in their lineup. And so I think that that's going to be to Ole Miss's advantage. They're going to have to, you know, make Hubbard inefficient as possible. And then the Tolu-Smith matchup, that's that's going to be a tough one for Ole Miss. I'm interested to see how they guard that. But um, it's, a, it's, a big week for, it's a big week for Ole Miss. And from a defensive standpoint, the chess match between Jans and Beard should be a good one. Is that do you see that game being played in I granted hopefully a much prettier fashion, but do you remember the game at Starkville last year before the wheels like officially came off for Kermit? Whereas like if anyone scores 40 here, they're probably going to win the yeah. game. Do you sense a similar type of game? Yeah, I mean, I could totally see it, but you never know. Like sometimes in these super defensive matchups, the team shoot like 50% from the three and then the games in the 80s, right? Um so, I, no, I do think it's going to be a defensive chess match. Every bucket that you get is going to be well-earned. Um, both of these coaching staffs are really good, you know, at scout and scouting their opponents. And, look, this is a pivotal game for both teams if they want to go to the tournament. Um, both had huge quad one wins that they're coming off of on Saturday. Um, you know rivalry games always can get a little bit weird. So um, it, it's going to be it's going to be exciting for sure. Yes, it is. And I'm looking forward to watching it for Ole Miss. From an A&M standpoint, they've been a weird team this year. Uh, Wade Taylor's incredible. What did you kind of make of Ole Miss's approach to him last night? Look, he gets 30, but no, there's only one other guy on the floor last night that had more than seven points. How did you figure they kind of fared against him? And was it look, I don't I couldn't begin to tell you how they guarded him and like whether it went along with their game plan or not. But was it was that a case of just let this guy get his and nobody else beats us? Or what did you kind of see from that last night? 
Yeah, you know, outside of Taylor, they're not just super talented um, offensively. I think they're their bigs do a really good job at rebounding. Um, and Coleman, and then um, the other guy who who's the other guy that played at uh, State? It was a Garcia. One of those one of those guys played at State um, a few years ago as well. Yeah, Anders but, Garcia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, they do both do a big job, a good job on the boards. But I don't know. I think Ole Miss lost Taylor, you know, a few times throughout that game. But then they he also had 12 to 15 points that were just tough shots that you just kind of drop your head and you're like, yeah, you know, good. I mean, good shot there. Contested look. So he, he's a ball player. I think that he's I think he's a pro. Um, and last night he he sure lit it up. For Ole Miss going into this week with the qual- both quality of opponent, again, having these two games at home is massive for them. But is a split a win if you go one and one this week? How do you kind yeah. of look at that with the two opponents? Yeah, I, I think um, – I mean, I think if you can get one this week at least, that would be great. And, you know, Auburn's going to be a quad one win. State's probably going to end up at the end of the year being a quad two win. But – They've got, um, I think, out of the next four games, three or quad one opportunities, and then states to quad two. So you really need to be, what would it be, five and four going into next week if you split? Yes, that'd be five and four. Yeah, that's. I mean, you really need to be five and four and shoot six and three, and now, you know, now you're just a a couple wins away um, from getting into tournament stuff. But you're you're still a far way away. You you can see right now. For Ole Miss fans that, you know, this is the first time they've been super invested, how hard it is, you know. And so it's – somebody asked me yesterday, like, what teams from the SEC are going to make the tournament? Well, there's four that that you can kind of put ink on, right? Alabama, Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee. But outside of that, I mean, it's really hard to tell. You know, it is really hard to tell. I think you'll get three or four more additional bids um, because of how many – top 50 net opportunities there are and Vandy really being the only awful team. I, I mean, Arkansas is pretty bad as well, but um, night in and night out, how hard it is to, to get wins. Um, so Ole Miss getting to that, you know, nine or 10 mark is I think what it's going to take. We didn't do a podcast the week for us. As I mentioned, I was out of town and I was at the wedding. So not get much. I did not get to watch much of the Auburn game, which was a shellacking from start to finish. Just a real quick look at that one this uh, before we you know, let you go for the week and regroup with this on Sunday again. What happened in that one? Is there any reason to believe Ole Miss could make that fare a little bit differently in Oxford? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Auburn's just really good at home. Um, and so. Ole Miss, unlike unlike on Saturday, there were times where Auburn went on runs and Ole Miss did not respond to it well. Um, you know, the thing that was kind of interesting about that game to me is the the rebounding was not super off. You know, I think it was uh, both teams were tied with rebounding. Ole Miss may have even had the rebounding advantage in that game, but Auburn did a really good job of speeding Ole Miss up and turning them over and again, just like in the first half on Saturday night, Ole Miss took a lot of out-of-rhythm contested looks. And so it's something that I think Ole Miss has got to figure out because you're really right now kind of at the, you know, close to the midway point in SEC play is getting back to having really good shot selection. Uh, Because if you you force 
bad shots and are turning the ball over. That's how these games, you know, the gap of the game can widen. And if you're down 16 with nine minutes left to play, you've dug yourself a pretty big hole. And that can happen really quick on the road. And so, you know, the theme for Ole Miss when they're playing a game where they only score 59 points is they're turning the ball over and they're, you know, they're forcing shots. They're forcing bad shots. Um, so for Ole Miss, I think that that was the, the big key. There's also been um, some games this year where Ole Miss has kind of gotten bailed out by being super hot from the three-point line. You know, at the Auburn game, they go four for 17 from three. So that that's it was just kind of a recipe for disaster for Ole Miss and had a lot of similarities to the Tennessee game earlier this year. Taking a look around the SEC a little bit from the action from Saturday, Arkansas felt like they have they have the weird – Pre-game, where like they announced that Devontae Davis is no longer with the team. Um, I saw them in person on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever that was. I think it was Wednesday night. Uh, not a great body language team, as I was watching to my left from the Arkansas bench. Um, this felt like a little bit of a kitchen sink game for them. They were they mucked it up. It was a slow-paced game, and then all of a sudden you look up, and Kentucky, that it felt like they'd been behind the entirety of the basketball game, wins the game almost by double digits. What did you make of this one? And this kind of feels like a nail in a coffin for Auburn, despite Cal saying after the game that they have the talent to turn this around. I'm just not sure that's the case. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this, um, you know, the Quinchon over Christmas. I yeah. mean, there's some locker room issues, you know, in that group. I, they're not – they're more talented than they're playing. This is not one of Musselman's most talented teams for sure. But, yeah, I think that thing is – I mean, it's done. They're one and six in conference play. Um, and once you get to that point where there, there is no hope, it's really hard to get guys up and going and and playing hard. Um, I, I thought they played decently hard Saturday, um, you know, in a in a good environment. But that once you're once you kind of get you dig yourself that deep of a hole, it's kind of hard to get the guys going the rest of the year. Yeah, that's that's a weird one because all of a sudden I now kind of see and I thought still some some Arkansas media, social media wise, and read a little bit about it this morning because I was just mostly curious. I don't know. This is just internet fan fodder debate, but there is some like, I still believe Musselman's a guy. I don't still believe Musselman's a guy. The guys made three straight sweet 16s. Those people seem nuts. Yeah, they are. That's a super passionate fan base that uh, so what what would you say it's two elite eights in a sweet 16 in the past three years? Is that yeah, right? I guess that'd be two elite eights in a sweet 16. Yeah. What, what else I mean, are you supposed they, to expect they, from anywhere? Yeah, they they care about their basketball. Um, And he's a guy that like he can go flip that roster next year and have them back where they should be. You know? I mean, he's he's done it before, but they're not used to losing. They're not used to being one and six in, in conference play. Um, It's probably been since you know, maybe the Pelfrey days since they've seen that. So it's not something that they're accustomed to, but um, there's no reason to, there's no reason to, you know, lose faith, faith as a fan base um, when that, when you have a down year like that. Um. So uh, what, real quick, as we kind of wrap up here is looking at a couple more games the, you mentioned the top half of the league or the top four, right? You can kind of Sharpie those in as the NCAA tournament teams. And after that, it's like, Oh, I don't actually really know who else. Um, one shiny example of that is there's a couple of teams like Ole Miss, like South Carolina that like the computers don't seem to love, but they just kind of continue to win games. South Carolina gets another big win at home. How legit do you think they are 
And do you kind of put them in the category of old Miss? It's like, I don't really know how good this team is, but hell, you're, you know, you get close to that nine win mark and then you're just kind of there. Yeah. You know, I think they're definitely in that same category. I think they've gotten hurt by a non conference strength of schedule a little bit, but I mean, they just keep winning. And they've they've got some you know they've got some good wins. Um, the thing about South Carolina is they're three and two on the road, uh, which is great. And so that's I mean by far the biggest surprise in the SEC this year. Ole Miss was awful last year, but you knew that you got one of the best coaches in the country coming to turn it around. I didn't really know what I thought about Lamont um, going into year two, and it, it's really hard nowadays. And Chad Morris is kind of the example of this in football, like with how little time you have as a coach now, that first year is super important because now you got fan buy-in or lack thereof, NIL buy-in or lack thereof, administration buy-in or lack thereof. And so it's pretty phenomenal what he's done this year. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing that Ole Miss-South Carolina matchup. We were talking about this earlier in the year, but Alabama plays a ridiculous non-conference schedule. Granted, they don't really win any of the marquee games, but they're now six and one in league play and blew the doors off of LSU uh, last night. They're they're good. They just seem to have a very tough early stretch of the season. Yeah, I think um, Oates' big thing that he's trying to figure out with that group is, yes, their net's great. Strength of schedule, you know, they lost a few non-conference. He wants to get them guarding at a higher level than they are currently. They beat the shit out of LSU on Saturday, but his big thing in the press conference was like, we've got to, you know, they gave up 75 or 80. I can't remember what the final score was, but they've got to be guarding better if they want to um, reach their, you know, ceiling. The the thing, the stat that was wild to me is last night was their sixth 100-point-plus game of the year. Sixth. Um, so he's got that thing rolling offensively. Florida, Georgia, two teams I can't really quite figure out. I don't love them all the time, either one of them, but then they kind of play hard and they're both sitting at four and three of the conference. How realistic of a chance do you give either one of those to make the tournament? I'd probably lean Florida pretty heavily over Georgia in terms of percentage chance to make the tournament. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, you know, Florida, I, I like their bigs and they they both just seem like I don't know. Like they, they both seem like they, they feel NIT ish today to me. Um, you know, more, more than tournament teams. I'd like to see Florida do it on the road a little bit. They've only won one, excuse me, they've only won one road game um, this whole year. But that was a, you know, that was an entertaining game last night or on Saturday because you have Mike White you know, returning back to Gainesville. And then they got down pretty big early and then come back and, you know, almost stole one. Um, but both of those teams, you know, as it sits today, see seem very NIT-ish to me. In Mike White's defense, though, I think he's done a pretty good job this year. Um, they're a little bit better than I expected them to be. Last thing I have for you, what – We've talked about this trend of how hard it is to win on the road. That's really not a unique thing in major college basketball and particularly the league as talented the SEC the last several years. But you're seeing like very good teams, not in just the SEC, across college basketball, fall on the road and not just fall on the road, but get their absolute like shit rocked on the road. Is there anything you attribute that to, whether it's the SEC or just across college basketball? It just seems particularly difficult this year. Yeah, it's it's really hard to like, point that to one thing because if if you think about it like these rosters have turned over a lot and so maybe 
you know, rosters gelling. And when you're winning, it you know, things are all fine and dandy. But when you hit adversity, you really see how your team responds to it. And it's hard to simulate that when you have 10 or 11 new guys on your team every year. So, I mean, that's the only thing that I can point it to. Um, it, you know, in Ole Miss's case, though, I think it's a positive because you have so many guys that have played in big-time environments. So it could be just as much coincidence as it is, you know, roster turnover that there's been such a variance on road games this year. Huge week for Ole Miss ahead. I'm looking forward to breaking it down at the end of the week. Like always, I appreciate the time, my man, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. All right, have a good one. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. I appreciate you listening to this podcast as always. Got a couple more guests lined up this week. We'll get into some basketball talk, look at some baseball probably here pretty soon. Thanks for listening to the show as always. We'll talk to you again here real soon.